Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Callum and Johnny. Third time's the charm. <laughs> well, this week I am back to the smooth jazz voice of the normal podcast and away from the shouty Robin Williams good morning Vietnam voice. If this all sounds a bit strained, it's because this is the third time doing this <laughs> intro. Yeah, we had the first time Callum's audio wasn't recording uh, and then the second time I missed the word film out of the podcast, <laughs> mainly because a cable got knocked and I was stressing out about the noise the cable was making and then... But it kind of threw garbled together, it was that untitled podcast. Yeah, we kind of... One into one. But it's all water under the bridge or over the hill or wherever the hell the water goes. Now we are back to top quality entertainment with the sound of seagulls in the background. Also the first time in the uh, studio, I guess, for a few weeks because of illness and various other bits of mm. reasons why we couldn't be recording it together. So now we're back to our natural charming selves. Back in action. Indeed. So... Once we've done our intro, there's something we normally do every week, Callum. And that... Oh, yeah, what would that be? ...is to discuss movies. But before we discuss movies, we like to discuss how people can interact with us We should the call this world. the unscripted film podcast. It is incredibly unscripted. Um, and that's what people listen to. They want our flow. No one wants a script. It'd be very boring. It would be scripted. very static. Um, but anyway, uh, so Callum, how can people interact with us? Well, if you get the over to Facebook and Instagram, it's Untitled Film Podcast, one word. And just to kill this joke, we're not on Twitter, or at least not properly. We've got one tweet from like six months ago, that, and we didn't go back. And it's not even called Untitled Film Podcast over there. So at the moment, only Facebook and Instagram. And we're back to doing sort of fun bits and pieces on there because for a while we were just posting the new episodes, but we're back to asking questions. And you asked one this week, I believe, I Callum. did indeed. Uh, in celebration of the film that we reviewed last week, The Greatest Beer on Ever, we uh, posted a question about beer moments in films. So I posted a picture from The World's End, but you could have also gone for something like Ice Cold and Alex if you wanted something classic or various other bits of uh, drunken debauchery in films. And a friend of the podcast, Dog Brain Videos, um, sent us a his answer. And it's any American Pie film, especially when they have those red solo cups. I remember how popular those cups became in the UK about 10 years ago when they started suddenly selling them in Tesco. Everybody became a Stiffmeister wannabe. And Tesco for Americans out there is like Walmart. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And we, exactly. we didn't um, jump on this sort of red solo cup thing for the longest time. And then suddenly they just sort of sprang up out of nowhere. They're in Poundland now, which is our version of Dollar Tree as well. So, um, yeah, they, they're everywhere. 
And uh, yeah, it brings up f- a good point about American Pie. That is a film that probably was one of the first kind mm-hmm. of that. You know, I can think of the moment where you know the the um, nasty bodily fluid goes in the cup. It's one of the big mm, first yeah. gross out moments, and that sort of heralded like it's sort of the uh, statement of the film. Like this is the humor from this point on. You're going to like it or you're going to not. But those those red solo cups were all over like teen movies and that kind of thing in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in the UK, they weren't a thing. So everyone was like, oh my God, I, I could be in America with a red cup. And yeah. yeah, you just need a red cup, Jason Biggs and some 41 on the soundtrack. And yep. Or maybe yes, that, that song, that one song that, um, oh, what's, the, what's the song called? The one with the, the, somebody once told me oh, the um, world smash was good, the smash mouth yeah that that one song they did that people know um that is in every movie from that period of time from shrek to rat race to every teen movie going yeah it Along, was, it and was that, a big hit come my lady come come my lady oh, you're yes. my butterfly um, sugar lately i've forgotten what their lady, name you're is my pretty, but them as well them both yes. one hit wonders that were on every kind of early 2000s soundtrack ever for yes. a teen movie Yes, and that's a very good beer moment, so thank you for sending that in. Mm, and Callum, what was your favourite beer moment from a thing, a film? Uh, well, the one that I, well, kind of the classic one, I already mentioned it, is uh, the movie Ice Cold and Alex. I don't watch a lot of old movies, but um, back in the day when I used to go to a uh, local theatre and they set up a sort of cinema that would play a kind of Blu-ray onto a projector every so often, like cinema in the broadest possible terms. One of the movies they played was Ice Cold and Alex. Of course, it's about those soldiers that go across the desert and they're just thinking about this beer, this one beer that they're going to have at the at the end of the journey. They were looking forward to this beer. And um, it's sort of a double meaning. Ice Cold and Alex, they're either going to die, be ice cold, or they're waiting for this ice cold beer. And it is a very satisfying moment. But Johnny, what do you have? Mine is very different. <laughs> very different. Mine, I just always remember in Social Network, there's that scene where they're having a house party in the kind of like frat housey thing they've set up down in California. And um, uh, and Sean Parker slash Justin Timberlake turns up with his girlfriend and um, uh, and Mark Zuckerberg's character is just... Okay, character? Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, slash Jesse Eisenberg's character is just like... Um, beer, yeah, and throws one to um, to Sean Parker, grabs it, opens it, and then he throws another, and throws one to his girlfriend, and she just panics. And then it, um, they've done a very cool moment where they've thrown it directly at the camera, and it smashes on the camera. Uh, <laughs> and I think that I always thought that looks quite cool. Yeah, that is a cool um, moment, a cool effect. Yeah, that's mine. Excellent. So that is the socials. Get interacting with us. We like to read them out, and we, if you want to be part of the podcast it's the best way of doing that unless you want to come on and if i think your film cred's up to it i'm sure we'd let you come on as well absolutely and uh also one last place you can listen to us is on youtube so if you're not into the whole uh podcast revolution then get the to youtube still untitled film podcast and you can listen to us there hi mum (laughs) absolutely um so that takes us on to the news callum and do you want to go first or shall I? Um, you can go first. Okay. I'm going to go with my, let's do the rogue bit of news first. So my rogue bit of news is more media than it is film, although arguably he has done some documentary films over the years. Tucker Carlson has been fired from Fox News. No. I'm just imagining the green M&M stepping on his throat. <laughs> the masturbator-in-chief is gone. Um, it seems probable that it was due to some sexual harassment lawsuits, um, but it's not official yet. And Nothing's confirmed. It came from uh, Daddy Rupert, pulled Ooh, the gun um, wow. out and shot him in the head. Uh, what I quite enjoyed the last segment he ever did on Fox News was him eating pizza with a guy and talking about his documentary about eating bugs that he was <laughs> that he was like now go and watch our documentary about eating bugs. Um, he was just about to do a documentary about how America should go and take Canada back from its extreme liberal government um, as well was was the thing he was going to do. So that will never see the light of day. Thank God. Um, 
Yeah, so he is gone. He is dead. Uh, it means he has been fired by all three of the major US news networks. He's been fired by CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News now. Um, so expect Newsmax or some shithole um, right wing conspiracy hole will probably hire him if any of them have any money back because it also seems like they are going to all be sued out of existence by various voting machine companies uh, as Fox has recently had to pay nearly $800 million to a company called Dominion and there apparently are a couple of bigger lawsuits going their way and Newsmax and whatever there's another another arsehole network I can't think what they're called but anyway um, but yeah apparently Rupert was scared of another lawsuit after the Roger Ailes ones and then all of the oh, what's his name the shouty one um, I've forgotten his name anyway it the, could be Bill, any Bill, Bill, oh, Bill O'Reilly mm-hmm. um, and and they were he was and, and obviously this Dominion lawsuit I suppose there's only so much money Fox could afford to pay in hundreds of millions of dollars in lawsuits <laughs> so um, fuck them all it's what she deserves. Exactly. Uh, so that was my piece of news. It's slightly off topic, but I was very gleeful to see that. Well, if no one else will take him, GB News will have him. Uh, so that is true. My first bit of news is a little bit of a sad one. This only came in today. Um, Harry Belafonte has died. I saw that, yeah. Um, it's at the age of 96, the actor and the singer. He was one of the you know big breakouts, black movie stars of the 50s and 60s, at a time when that was not something that... you'd see it very rarely him and Sidney Poitier were uh, contemporaries he um, marched on um, Washington with uh, with, um, um, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, and he was in many of the highest grossing films of the 50s and 60s and more recently uh, you could see him in Black Klansman that very powerful and mournful moment towards the latter end of the film um, he gives this speech about how he saw a horrible um, a murder of a friend of his. And uh, and it's just, it really is a very powerful moment and leads to the um, black power uh, chanting in that movie, which corresponds to the more evil uh, white power chanting. It's a very clever bit of filmmaking. I think that was his last film, uh, but a, a legacy. And of course, as a singer, although we won't focus on that quite so much. Um, his um, legacy reaches far, far, far <coughs> beyond, you know, the achievements of most people in their lives, you know, the, uh, you know, the kinds of songs that he's had, the hits that he's had, the hit movies that he's had. Uh, it's a very sad uh, thing to happen, but he died at a ripe old age, so that's something, and uh, he'll be very missed. Yeah, absolutely. So my second piece of news is a trailer dropped today. For the Equalizer three, I saw that. <laughs> Who knew they were going to do a third one? I quite liked the first one. Yeah, me too. Um, I thought it was good fun, much better than expected. Because obviously they're they're a remake of like a seventies or eighties kind yes, of. Yes, it was series. an Edward Woodward. Yeah, try saying that three times fast. Edward Woodward. Edward Woodward. Don't Edward Woodward. Literally try it. I did it. It was it's fine. A bit, it's a bit of fluff. Wow, you need to be clearer with your fluff. It Clearly. needs to be funnier. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway. <laughs> um... Yeah, so I don't think I saw Equalizer 2. Maybe I did. I can't remember. Maybe I, I feel like maybe I did and it was quite forgettable. If I did, I can't remember it. Well, yeah, quite. Um, so interesting, there's an Equalizer 3 coming out. I almost feel like it's a bit like it's Denzel's Taken. I feel like it's kind of, you know, it's a nice little um, paycheck where, pe- you know, the, the first one got pretty good reviews and seems to chug along and... and oh, all these old boys want to, want to have a, an action franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, um, Colin Farrell said in an interview recently that he asked his agent, and his agent asked him, what, what, what do you want to do next? And said, you know, I wouldn't mind a John Wick. So I think a lot of actors who are 50 plus are going to their agents and going, you know, I think it's time to get my own old man does action franchise. Yeah, I think it Taken started it, didn't it? And then obviously John Wick and then Equalizer seems to be coming in to, to, to be one. Um, obviously, I think they, I think I'm right in saying they might be doing a Nobody 2 as well. Nobody with... Um, yes, with uh, Bob Odenkirk. Bo- Bo- I, think Odenkirk. I think I saw, yeah, that there's a second one, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, they do seem to, there seems to be a running thing that people seem to like and they seem to be making lots of. Yes, old boys doing action. Yeah, absolutely. Nicholas Cage just needs one now. 
Speaking of old boys doing action, um, my second bit of news, Arnold Schwarzenegger set for movie return in action pick Breakout from Expendables 4 director, who knew there was going to be an Expendables 4. It's the first time hearing about it. it must be out, um, isn't it? If it's, he's already directed it, that seems to be what you're saying. Uh, well, th- this new film, um, Breakout, isn't yet, but Expendables 4, I think, is just around the corner. Oh, is it, oh, is it not even out yet? Not even out. Uh-huh. No, I think it's... Uh-huh. Um, Sometime in a little bit. I, I mean, know. I saw the first one. I thought that was all the Expendables I ever needed. <laughs> yeah. So he's back. You know, he, he takes long breaks, partly because for a while he was doing politics. And then, you know, just the fact that he was kind of getting on in years and he doesn't have to do a movie unless he kind of wants to. Like, he probably is at the point in his career when he gets a bit bored and goes, you know what, I, could, I fancy doing a movie. Mm-hmm. And I think this is, he's also got a Netflix TV show coming out. Um, so he seems to be in one of those moods again. So, uh, this uh, is going to be directed by Scott Woe, or Woe, um, Expendables 4 filmmaker. And it's um, about a guy called Terry Reynolds. When his stepson is framed and sentenced to 25 years in a foreign country, Reynolds makes a daring jailbreak to save him and must overcome an overzealous prison warden in a race against time to avoid capture and flee the country. Sounds very generic, but, you know, if it's fun, it could be on the funner side of generic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would have thought from the director of Expendables 4, generic <laughs> is probably, it sounds like the, probably the worst. Yeah, yeah. At best, um, meat and potatoes. Which which Expendables was it that he cameoed in? Because he like turns up for one scene, he doesn't he? He does. In one it's of Expendables it one, No, in Expendables 1, he's in one scene. In Expendables 2, he's, he's in a fair bit. And in Expendables 3, he comes up and says, Hello. Goodbye. I don't think I ever saw Expendables 2. I feel like... It's like ironically, I think it's one the, it's was the, the best one, which is like saying nothing at all because it doesn't mean it's that good. Mm. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, excellent. Well, that is the news. And we've got some movies to review now, I would think, probably. We do indeed. Um, and what movies and why have we, what are we doing this week, Callum? Tell the audience, so the, fill them in. The new movie that we're going to be doing is Empire of Light, which is the Sam Mendes film. And uh, it was shot very close to us. Uh, so we're in Folkestone in Kent, um, which is just a stone's throw away from where it was filmed in Margate. Although it's little bits of it were filmed across Kent and other parts of England. And uh, we're doing a cinema, nostalgic cinema-themed week because we're going to be pairing it with the Art House classic Cinema Paradiso, <laughs> um, uh, which is from the early 90s. I, I noticed a question on the uh, classic there was, uh, word. There was many question mar- marks there, um, which is uh, the big, big, big foreign film of the early 90s. It lives in a similar reputation as something like Life is Beautiful or Amelie, mm. uh, but we'll get into that a bit later. Um, so yes, yeah, so kicking us off um, with uh, I almost call it Save the Cinema, uh, which we reviewed about <laughs> six or so months I mean, it's ago. Slightly better than that. <laughs> uh, so let's kick off with Empire of Light. Do you want to take the honors? Yeah, let's do it. So I think I do want to do a little bit of background. So it is filmed very locally to us, which was quite interesting to see. Um, one of the things that I quite enjoyed about it, uh, which it won't translate to anyone who's not living. I don't know, within like a 50-mile radius of us, um, is that it was kind of... I quite like seeing all the locations. And actually, I've always thought of Margate as quite a cinematic place. I've always quite liked seaside towns that are a little bit um, decrepit. Um, and Margate certainly is that. <laughs> and has been, I think, since its heyday, after its heyday in the 60s. Um And they also... Uh, the, the cinema that it's kind of based in although i would say based in a loose term because they basically they used what was the old cinema building which we used to go and see movies in uh, and it's quite interesting actually there's a there's a park quite early on in the film where they're like where the new new character or the new person starts at the cinema and they're taking or and she she's taking him around and showing him the cinema um and they go up these stairs into this section that the, the, the public aren't allowed in and it's a whole other cinema and they're like, oh, there's, there, was, there's, there used to be two more screens here. It was a whole, like a whole other cinema upstairs. And actually, you and me used to go and watch movies up in that bit. When, when they're walking Did through, there's this very famous... Like, oh, I think it's quite famous because it's architecturally the building is actually quite famous. Um, 
and there's this this kind of like round desk where I remember used to go and buy tickets from, and they have, they, you have this big like chandelier in it and stuff. So that kind of found I kind of found very very interesting, and it was interesting how they they, they shot it all as well because what they did was there's this big area in Margate where there used to be a building that burnt down, and there's a big gap, and they basically built a whole soundstage in a giant tent there, and then built a fake cinema frontage as well, uh, and we knew quite, I know quite a few people who were extras in it, and they said it was really surreal just walking in this kind of fake frontage of a cinema and then walking into this soundstage, and then they're just suddenly inside a giant soundstage that's a cinema, um, which is, is quite surreal. So that's the background, anyway. You know, that's... So it's good that, I think it's good to know that context, because I think it will paint paint our reviews slightly differently to how we review most films, uh, certainly if it will for me. But basically, the story is about uh, Olivia Coleman's character, who's... Is it Sally? Is her name? Hillary. Hillary. Um, she is a assistant manager at a cinema and at that cinema there is a whole bunch of characters um she is having an affair with the manager of the cinema um who is married uh hence an affair (laughs) (laughs) you tend to have to be in some form of relationship to have an affair sorry what's an affair uh well what happens is when there's two people who are together for a long period of time and then one of those people is secretly seeing someone who's not in that if that makes sense. I think we've killed this joke. Uh, well, that's how, that's what I like to do. I like to drag them I'm like Stuart Lee. I just like to drag them out. We'll bring this joke back at some point I'm sure in about we will. half an hour's time. Um, and then this new young lad comes and starts at the cinema and they seem to have a spark right away. That's, that's the synopsis. That's really. a you know, pretty good synopsis. <laughs> um, so the, if there's a major malfunction with this movie... It's that it's not a movie, it's four movies. (laughs) None of which it commits to, and by doing so, it sketches over any sort of nugget of interesting drama that could possibly come out, doesn't get explored to its fullest. So it kind of becomes a master of none. It it doesn't commit to any of its big ideas. So, as you mentioned, um, uh, uh, Olivia Colman plays Hillary, and... um, uh, very early on in the movie, it's shown that she has schizophrenia and, you know, she visits a doctor who's very condescending. She goes to work, goes through the motions, but people are kind of very wary around her. And, you know, it's okay for a, a, a jumping off point. Okay. That, but it, it becomes a case of, okay, I want more though. And it never really commits to more. It's just every so often when the film kind of bothers to remember, it will have her freak out and get into a rage but it really is a case of when the film bothers to remember. And uh, we've also got a coming-of-age film. Um, this young lad, uh, played by um, Michael Ward, uh, who plays Stephen. Uh, he's a, a young black man. And, of course, uh, films like that, you know, set in the 1980s, as this film is. Uh, a story about a young black man in 90s, 80, 1980s Britain. So it, Thatcher. Yeah, exactly. It does uh, that kind of thing. It, but it sketches over racism. Every Again, when it bothers to remember, it has him being attacked by a bunch of skinheads. But it is, again, it's like every 20 minutes it goes, oh, snap, this film is supposed to be about racism, isn't it? Let, let's have him get beat up, which I'm sure he means well, Sam Mendes, but that's very much a heavy-handed, ham-fisted, white person writes about racism sort of thing. Like, there's no microaggressions. There's no... Like instances where people talk about wanting to touch his hair or or, or, or uh, kind of use slightly insulting language, but in that kind of cutesy, backhanded way that British people often do. It's always very aggressive. He's either getting beaten up or there's someone saying, you, you people. You people. And it's like, it always goes for kind of the 11 out of 10 major. And then it completely forgets about it. It's also a film about nostalgic cinema you've got this character played by toby jones who's a projectionist and he talks in very folksy like cinema is like life it is and you know these and we're going to be talking about this later um but those bits are very much biting off the apple of cinema paradiso when it bothers to remember that it's being a film about a cutesy folksy film about the nostalgia of cinema it has um the young lad michael getting taught by toby jones projectionist about cinema is like a way of life let me show you how the projection booth works like okay commit to that but it doesn't and that's his big problem is that any of these ideas would have made one good movie 
but he wants to make five good mo- movies and he ends up making one pretty bad movie. What, what do you think? I would agree. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head. It is, it doesn't really do any of the movies very well. And it almost feels like all of the actors are acting in a different movie. Like Olivia Coleman's say at, at an 11 and then Michael Ward's at a seven, just, you know, being acting like a normal person. And then Colin Firth is like some weird, is it like 39 at like some yeah, massive caricature, caricature. Play a pantomime villain. And it's such a small role as well. He's in like three scenes. Yeah. Um, and then you got Toby Jones being Toby Jones, just kind of in the background occasionally, literally for like three scenes um, and has no real, and, and, and none of the stories seem to, connect together that well and I, I kind of think what it should have done and um, the film that i would have liked to watch mainly because michael ward was so good was it probably should have been a film about him and race and in the, the film he wants to become an architect but maybe it should be about him wanting to become a director or something and then the toby jones character you know could g him on or whatever and that and that would have been a more focused better movie although then it would have been a cinema paradiso Copy, clone. Um, And the other thing is, I think the writing team behind it, um, realistically, couldn't write, you you know, you'd you'd want a different director and a different um, writing team, really, if you're going to be telling a story about a young black man in in, in 1980s. You probably need someone who's lived those experiences. You either need lived experience or someone who's researched it to the kind of nth Mm, degree. Yeah, exactly. So I I don't think, I think it would be the wrong people to make that movie. So then, okay, maybe they should have made the Olivia Coleman movie, which was the, the story about, you know, mental health and how badly that was, you know, how bad the mental health was treated in the the um the nine uh, in the 80s this whole kind of thing like yeah lithium's really good yeah because that's what lithium's known for making people like completely <laughs> numb and just destroying their lives that's what lithium's known for um so you know that that could have been an interesting movie as well and apparently that uh, reading some interviews at the time when the movie came out um sam mendes <clears throat> the character slightly based on sam mendes's mother um so she yeah she had uh, some some mental health issues, I believe, and and, and that was kind of, or uh, you know, it's kind of based upon that, um, which you know maybe makes more sense. Um, but yeah, it was a complete and utter mess. Now there are some bits of the film that work. The main things being the cinematography. Uh, it's Roger Deakin, uh, who is a fantastic cinematographer, and Margate looks, you know nice it kind of works for it. it doesn't actually state that it's in margate the film uh but it's in kent they're pretty pretty um uh pretty uh, hammer that point home <laughs> quite a few times uh, and name drop various places in kent and things um but yeah so that you know i think that's it i think it's just a massive mess of a film and they should have picked a lane and probably ideally picked the lane with Michael Ward because he was the best actor in it. So they, uh, they, that's what I was going to say. The things I liked about it, the cinematography, I thought the Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross soundtrack, why not one of their best work fine for it. Uh, and I enjoyed Michael Ward's acting. Um, and I enjoyed Toby Jones in his tiny little scenes. But outside of that, I just felt everyone else didn't really get the tone of the movie. I don't think the script got the tone of the movie and needed to pick a lane. And yeah, it's just overall, it's a bit of a mess. And uh, apparently it was written during lockdown, and it feels like a lockdown movie. It's like... <laughs> I was, missed the cinema. <laughs> yeah, I missed the cinema. Um, but considering it was a lockdown movie written about his mum, it all feels very hollow. Like, um, Sam Mendes has had uh, various films of various uh, successes, uh, from the kind of highest Oscar winning to films that have kind of gone under the radar and no one... But he's really cared. Like this one. Um, if it's more comparable to anything, uh, he made a film about 10 or so years ago called Away We Go with uh, John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. But whereas this film sort of feels kind of a bit dead, for a film that's so personal, it feels like it doesn't really feel that personal. It feels quite overwrought and like awards baiting. Um, something like Away We Go, a mess though that was too, that felt somehow more timely and personal in where Sam Mendes was in his life at that moment and it's just a shame to see this movie just kind of not being very present it Mm. feels both old-fashioned but also despite the great cinematography televisual and it all feels you know ham-fisted and although I'm sure it was personalized he was writing it and it's the first film he's written on his on his own without another screenwriter Uh, while it it does feel uh, personal in one way it doesn't transcends it doesn't um lend itself to the film when it gets to the film it just sort of feels like this could be any nostalgic cinema trip 
I do think, I think it feels a bit like he was given all the ingredients and then shut the bed on the script, realistically. I think yeah. that's the, the issue with it. Um, and without having, you know, as much as it is, it, as much as it's nice to look at something pretty, if the script's not there, then it's completely pointless. I mean, I've, I've got to the stage where I really hate ugly films. I hate things, I hate things with too much CGI and I've been doing, and I, you know, I absolutely adore well shot things and, but if that's the only thing you're enjoying about a movie, then there's something wrong with it. And and I frankly think it was boring. And I think if you'd have if you'd have cut if you'd picked the lane and cut out one of the movies and made it ninety minutes and made it look that pretty, and and actually you know concentrated and, and made a good job of the the lane you picked, then it would have been a good movie. But it it just swerved around so much tonally, um, from style of acting, and then it, and. It, no, no story felt anywhere near complete. Like the Toby Jones's character, other than him saying, oh, "I like films a lot," you know, films are good, and it's just the light dancing through the sky. And then Olivia Coleman's character, she doesn't really get much of much closure or an ending. And the yeah, I just don't think the race, the race stuff just kind of comes and go. It just nothing really. There's no, no one. Do you think that was there any major character development? Do you really think that their lives have moved on massively? I suppose maybe the young lad. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it just doesn't work on so many levels. <laughs> no, it really doesn't. And it's a shame because uh, I think um, you know. For us personally, we saw really this film wanted getting, to like it. We, we saw yeah. this film being made. We saw the outside of the cinema set, and every so often, the films outside would change from the Long Good Friday, Blues Brothers, um, you know, a whole bunch of films. I think mm. Arthur was one of them. Uh, lots of films from the early eighties, and it's like, oh, great, this is going to be really good, and then it's not. Yeah, I was hoping it'd be a bit of a nostalgia trip for myself, but it didn't. Wasn't so. Yeah, sad times. Yeah, sad times. I think that probably brings us to the end of that review. I think so. I think that wraps it all up. So it is time for an advertisement break. And I'm going to turn Callum's microphone off if he says I'll buy that for a dollar when we come back. <laughs> cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. I'm well, I, no. I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm in the same room. I can do it this yes, time. Yes, you can. Yes, yes, you can. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, welcome back, everybody. We are now going to be talking about the 1988 classic uh, movie, Cinema Paradiso. So, Callum, tell us about Cinema Paradiso. Well, if you've seen one art house film in your life it may very well have been this one because this was one of the biggies this is like the thing that came over to hollywood and went down an absolute storm it's one of the few, like every so often there's one film that just does it mm. and this is that so it uh premiered at the Cannes film festival it uh, won the academy awards it was nominated for several baftas and it won for best actor and best foreign language film and it's concerns a, um, a man called Salvatore. This is an Italian film. Uh, it's in 1988, Rome. Um, he gets home after a late night of, you know, he's a filmmaker, he's very successful. Um, and his girlfriend, or at least the woman that he's sleeping with at that moment, uh, tells him, oh, I got a call from your mother. She's told me that um, Alfredo has died. Does that name mean anything to you? And he says, oh, go to sleep. It's okay. And then he starts reminiscing about the times when he was a young lad just after the Second World War. He's an eight-year-old boy, a precocious young lad. And he and this Alfredo spark up a friendship. He is the projectionist at the local cinema in his little Sicilian town. And um, he 
teaches him about kind of everything about how the cinema works and the love of film. And, you know, this young lad, he is just absolutely smitten with cinema. And, you know, he goes, tries to make excuses to go there all the time. He disobeys his mother in order to go to the cinema. And then the story starts playing out over several different timelines. So it goes, jumps from being a young lad to the life of the teenager when he's starting to get a bit more rebellious and um, get more a bit more interested in girls. And then it jumps ahead to um, him as an older man who's successful coming back to the town after... Uh, the funeral of Alfredo and the all the kind of reminiscing and, and the guilt that he has about not coming back sooner to this small Sicilian town um, to not see Alfredo and his mother again. Uh, so it's about that strong bond, that strong friendship. So Johnny, this is art, okay? I don't want to hear any of your... It's all right. This is Smarty Pants art, arty, arty, art house. And it's the one film where you're allowed to say that because other foreign films go down like a sack of, of wet bricks or something in Hollywood. This is the one they've accepted, okay? What did you think? It's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, I actually want to add into your first bit that you've missed something quite a crucial point of what I think is quite a crucial point of the movie, yeah, is that they strike up a friendship initially over the local priest um, censors all of the movies. Yes, he censors um, all of the kissing scenes. So every so often he goes, no! And, and rings, uh, a removes, little bell, rings a little bell and, and removes a little uh, kissing scene. Which is scene. quite an important plot point later in the movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, so they, that's why, that's where they first met. I think he's with the, I think um, the little boy is with the priest. He's doing some work for me. For the, so he's yeah, uh, and that's ringing how the, the bells in order to, um, to do the communion. The communion. So that's how he becomes friends with the, 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 the priest brings him along this time when he's going to go and cut these kissing scenes out. And that's how he becomes friends with Alfonso. Anyway. Um, yeah, it, it's all right. It's, um, it's better than a butterfly. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, it is, it's very nostalgic. It's very sweet. I think what I'd like to preface here, it's way too long, um, but I think what I'd like to preface is, so it came out in 1988 in Italy and wasn't that successful. And then in 1989, they recut it and showed it, I think it can, and then particularly in the UK, and it did really well and people suddenly really liked it. And I think that cut is an hour and 24 minutes long. Um, I think it's, yeah, no, I think it's, um, 80, uh, 84 minutes long or there or thereabouts it's, it's a lot shorter it might be 94 but then the version that we watched which was I think the version I watched was two hours and two minutes yeah I think the same <clears throat> um, so what happened was when they released it again in say 1995 uh, on the first time on video or DVD or whatever um, they did it as a they almost did it closer to the original cut and Everything I can see about it online, people seem to suggest the hour and a half cut is much, much better than this two hour cut. And I think maybe that's where I've got an issue. I think the pacing's wrong at times. I think it feels flabby. Maybe if it was 90 minutes, you know, there were thereabouts, it would have felt a lot tighter and I would have enjoyed it a lot more. But I just think because it, because it was this longer version of the film, it was, um, it felt flabby and slow paced and boring, frankly. I, I was bored <laughs> at times. I was like, Oh, look, it's nice that he, this this old guy, taught him to love cinema, and you know some some a few interesting things here and there happened in his life. But there were so many scenes of just like the locals watching films and stuff that just didn't need to be in there, or or like long shots of the someone cycling down a hill, which was all very pretty but incredibly unneeded. And my guess is that that's the kind of thing that was maybe chopped out on the ninety minute version, and and that would have probably been a lot better film because you know it's a nice story and it's it's nicely told and it's well shot and pretty beautiful and um you know it does make you. I mean, I'm not particularly nostalgic for having grown up in a 1950s Sicilian village because I didn't. But you know that kind of visual is Did very pretty. Not? No, I didn't. No, no. Uh, yeah, it's not, <laughs> not something that's in my lived experiences. Um, but you know, I can I can get it. Yeah, I can maybe see see where that comes from. Um, so yeah, you know, I think overall it's 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 a nice little cutesy movie, um, but it is a little bit like Baby's First. Um, Baby's first art house movie, a little bit in the lines of like Amelie and things, um, which again, perfectly good movie, but it's not exactly like I don't know the 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 most out there kind of. It's not another round or something where it's like you know deep cut, <laughs> but no, it, it's fine. 
and I think probably that original cut I would have enjoyed a lot more, but I did find it a bit slow-paced and boring and flabby at times. What did you think? Uh, pretty much the same. Um, the amazing thing is that this isn't even the longest cut. The kind of uh, um, one of the original ones is something like three hours long, um, which I think is what... Because when I texted you um, yesterday, the one... I, I looked at, I think it was IMDb first or uh, somewhere, and it said, how long is this film? It said three hours long. I said, oh my God, it's going to be such a slog. And then found out that it was two hours it wasn't so bad yeah, i think if it was three hours i would have pulled the plug yeah. and said let's not watch this movie um, but <laughs> the reason i mean you're right um 90 minutes would have been a, a lot better time because there is a, a preconception or a misconception that if a film is in a foreign language it's better simply for existing mm-hmm. and what people don't realize is that all films are just a collection of tropes and genres kind of mix up together they they're influenced of course by their own uh, community and their own uh, um, country and their own culture but this is just a coming of age film and mm-hmm. it's a pretty good one it's a pretty good coming of age film yeah it's kez it's kez it's um <laughs> um stand by me it's you know it's, you name yeah, a billy elliot yeah exactly name a good coming of age film and this is it um, I almost I almost started my review with this is cinema althood because <laughs> it's a bit like kid althood in the clever. kind of way it goes through time. Clever, clever. Um, and another issue is that when people think back about this film and their warm recollections, they're thinking of individual scenes which are very well executed. So one of the me- most memorable scenes is when he turns the projector around after the cinema has been closed and plays the film out of the window onto someone's house. And it's an incredibly sweet moment. And it, it, um, it comes just before a very dramatic moment when something quite tragic happens. And I know we can spoil older movies, but I think... I better mean, not. Better it, not. Yeah. Keep, that, keep that under wraps a little bit if you want to see it. Um, or the f- scene at the end, because like we mentioned, one of the big moments is um, cutting out all of these kissing scenes and, and there's something that happens at the end involving those. And again, I don't want to spoil it too much. But it is a collection of moments rather than a film. And if it has another issue, is that while it is a pretty good coming-of-age film, it's not a very dynamic one. Like, you know, you know, mentioning Billy Elliot. Uh, in Billy Elliot, um, it's set against the backdrop of the miners' strike. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's, there's very har- harrowing moments where he's at the bottom of the hill and he sees all the police at the top. There is a, there's some little interest, because this is just after the Second World War, so there's... Uh, his dad is missing or presumed dead, uh, missing, presumed dead. And at one point he finds out that he is dead. Um, After a little bit, they find out that he's dead. And that's a little moment. It's not really a lot of meat, though. And I think that's the problem. I think if this film did work for me, it's that I really like the final act when um, he's an older man, a successful man, um because towards the end at the end of the teenage story alfredo says go away from here away from this small town don't ever come back don't yeah. ever come back pursue, you hear me pursue your dreams pursue your dreams and it's so cheesy but i really liked this sort of um regretful um version of salvatore at the end in the third act i thought that was played very subtly and for a film that was so overwrought and cheesy and it is incredibly overwrought and cheesy to have a little bit of more a more mournful tone at the end, I think that really worked. That really pulled me back a bit when I was starting to get a bit bored, frankly. And each act should have been a half an hour long. And I think this, the last act, as an older man, that was the shortest one. I think it was about half an hour. Mm. They all should have been that same length. Yeah, I think if it was 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 yeah. minutes, it would have felt tighter. That and first, maybe five minutes for the opening yeah, scene. Yeah, because that first bit when he's a kid was a... I thought it would never end at some point. Except and for I, the couple of moments where it's like, oh, that's a sweet moment. He's playing it out the window. And that's the kid really, actor was pretty good as well. And he's, very, he's a precocious little scout. Because I don't usually like kid actors, and he was pretty good. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a mixed bag. Um, it's Frankly, it's more Walt Disney than it is um, you know, Antonioni. It, it, this is not Italian realism. This isn't uh, The Bicycle mm. Thief or something like this. It, it's Walt Disney with foreign accent, with, with foreign language. And that's probably exactly why it did so well in Hollywood as yeah. the Hollywoods. Um, you know, this is the art house film you've got to see. God damn it, this is important. This is art. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I, thing is, I don't mind Walt Disney when it's done right, and when it does it right, the moments that work right, they hit. Uh, it's just that they're they are moments rather than a movie. Yeah, no, I agree. It's um, it's a strange one. It's it, it, it is 
it's reasonable. It's fine. It's, it, you know, but it, uh, like you said, I think that whole thing, I think people go, it's in a foreign language. It must be genius. Mm-hmm. Although forgetting that every foreign, every movie is in a foreign language to somebody. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and it, it's fine. It, it, it's, you know, if that had come out in the UK, I reckon it would have been, you know, that it's not going to be the full Monty, put it that way. It's not going to be like, or Kez, or something people are going to really, or Billy Elliot, people are going to really remember. It's going to be one of those ones that comes out and quite a few people around the age of about 50 to 70 go and see it at the cinema on a Sunday afternoon. Some of them might have a Prosecco, some of them have a cup of tea with it. And, and then it would have been... I think that's the audience for um, The Empire of Light. Yeah, well, quite. Well, <laughs> they, they didn't see it. That was the audience the Empire of Light was meant to be for. Um, and then they'd all come out and go, oh, well, I saw that film the other day. It was really nice. That, that young lad was really good at acting. He was. And then it would be occasionally on TV, probably in like December 13th, every three years and then that's it and that's the we would live on but because it was i think because it, it had this story behind it where it didn't do well in italy and then it's like you know with certain bands like Jimi hendrix it's like oh and you know people didn't like Jimi hendrix and then he came to england and people liked Jimi hendrix so you know england's got really good taste and it finds these i always think there's a bit of that in there as well probably so yeah i don't think it quite lives up to its its reputation but it's fine it's fine it's serviceable um, and I think if I had the 90 minute cut, I'd probably enjoy it more. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that uh, everything about it just, it needed to play more into the tropes that it was already kind of quite slavish to. So, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't make a film which is basically just, and I do mean just a coming of age film, and frankly, not a particularly interesting one. And then kind of try and give it some self-importance of like no this is this is serious art i'm going to make it three hours okay nobody wanted to see that two and a half hours and nobody wants to see that two hours okay that's done pretty well let's also put an hour and a half cut as well (laughs) hey um you know this film just it seems to be at odds with its own genre Mm -hmm. like um and i know that these films are written personally and i've read that the director wrote it a lot about his actual small town and I know these films can be quite personal, a lot with, like uh, Empire of Lights with Sam Mendes writing about his mum. Problem is, is that we're not Sam Mendes or the director of this film's friends. So we're not that interested in their time when they sit you down and talk about how oh, there was this old cinema, really. He's talking about the old cinema again. Okay, strap in. It's going to be a long one. You know, write for the film, that, the audience that you actually mm. want. Although I guess this film, you know, we're, we're kind of outliers in this case because a lot of people love this film. 49th best film according to IMDb. But Yeah, but that list is yes, the biggest pile of bull. People should not be allowed, general public should not be allowed to vote on those film lists because they just get little stupid, it's, Chris Nolan films are not that good. They're fine. Yeah. You know, maybe if one or two, maybe if Inception or... Or, or you know one or two of his movies memento were in like were like 97th i think fair yeah. enough but this whole his whole output of movies does not deserve to be in the top 100 of the imdb oh, no, list no, no, not at all. <laughs> and not in like sixth place ninth place and things he's he's at best fine um anyway that's but, my Chris yeah, so, um, <laughs> that's off topic. both of these films are very personal but they're written for people who know the filmmakers and they should be written for the audiences if uh, and if, um, and in 90 minutes, maybe it would have been. Yes, quite. And if Cinema Paradiso has one up, uh, one up on Empire of Light, is that it has one story mm-hmm. and it sticks to it. It is the story of the old projectionist taking on the young boy, which should have been, you know, maybe the story that Empire, Empire of Light, Light was. Did. Yeah, exactly. With maybe the race stuff thrown in if yes. it was done properly by the right people. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. So, I think that probably wraps the review up. Um, what what are your scores on the doors and thoughts of Empire of Light? Give us a wrap-up. Um, well, Empire of Light is very disappointing. Um, for a filmmaker I like, and it's shot locally, I was looking forward to it, and then it ends up being five mini-movies that have no connective tissue, all of which are sketchy and jumped over. Um, so it's got to be a four out of ten. You know, it's got some pretty cinematography, a couple, you know, the odd good performance 
nothing if it's not lower it's only because nothing about it made me angry and it's only where i get angry that i reserve for the threes the twos the ones mm. so four out of ten because i'm not going to remember it after talking about it yeah I, it's, it's just a mess uh, that's it, it, it looks good and like you say it's got a couple of good performances in it but outside of that it's a mess it doesn't know what it is and the script's not that good and i found myself particularly it, it, I, I think it got a bit more pace up in the second half but the first half was just I found boring. I struggled. I actually watched the first half and then paused it um, for about three hours before I had to, could, could muster up the strength to go back and watch the second <laughs> half <laughs> and had to drink a few glasses of wine in the middle. Um, so, yeah, I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and, yeah, it didn't make me angry. Like, no one, n- nothing pissed me off in it, um, really. Well, one thing pissed me off in it, but not about the movie, about certain people in the world. Um so yeah, no, I, I actually was thinking four as well. I think you know it gets a couple of points for its um, cinematography, a couple of points for the acting, and and it, and it doesn't deserve to be a three or a two because I don't hate it, but it just doesn't work. Uh, but yeah, Cinema Paradiso thoughts. So this is what I like to call a YouTube movie because there are, because it's a, mo- a collection of moments, and the moments mm-hmm. work really well. So it's the kind of film where you'll go back on YouTube to watch the projectionist putting the film onto the wall outside or uh, the moment with the film kisses. Um, But it is a collection of moments rather than a movie. Uh, If there's something that saves it a bit, it is, I think, that uh, the subtlety of the last act and the mournfulness of the last act. I actually found myself being quite moved by that last act when a lot of what came before was actually quite boring. Um, But, you know, it doesn't do anything it's not egregiously poor or anything and the moments that are worth seeing are really worth seeing uh you can understand why in its walt disney-esque sweetness that it was such a big hit it is a walt disney style or mid um 90s miramax style uh version of an art house film a version of a foreign film and you know there's a few moments that bring it around so i think a six out of ten yeah fair enough I, again, I can only review the film that was put in front of me, and I think maybe it would have been slightly higher my score if it was the 90-minute cut. But yeah, I the first act, although it was needed to set the, the film up, I found it a bit boring. The middle act was a bit more interesting, but not massively interesting. And then, like you say, the third act was, was very good. Um, it was well shot. It was, you know, fairly well written. It was fairly heartwarming. Um it was, I think, I can't really fault any of the acting. I thought all the acting, I think it was all very well cast and, and put together. So from that point of view, it, it, it works. So, yeah, I think I'm going to give it a seven, which is a little bit nicer. Um, but proviso of that, I might have given a 90-minute cut an eight. I think, you know, not knowing what they've cut, but I would assume, I think if it was a 90-minute movie, I'd have liked it a bit more. And obviously that's pretty good. Obviously, um, it's held as a classic and a masterpiece and had won five BAFTAs and things do I think it's in that realm I personally don't I think you know you know normally those kind of films are the ones we're giving nines and tens to not sevens and eights so um yeah I thought I'm going to give it a seven I think that's a fair score so that means we have both given Empire of Light a four out of ten and between us uh Cinema Paradiso had a six and a half out of ten So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Untitled Film Podcast. Please don't forget to go and like and subscribe to us on the YouTubes, the Instagrams and the Facebooks. And please interact with us as we do like it. Bye-bye. Bye. Don't come back to this town. Don't come back. But please come back to the podcast.